Mach 3 Gimme Crew Show on 2, 3, 4. Mach 3, give me start line 2. 5 electric. Mach 3, give me start line 1. Crew show on 7 and 9. Mach 1, crew show 7 and 9. Do something. I hate weapons. Super Ops, line 3, Red Ball, Avionics. Super Ops, line 7 is code 3 for light in the gear handle. Hey, so I started a Patreon because, frankly, this stuff's getting expensive. Nothing will change the podcast or the blog if you don't subscribe, but if you want early access to episodes, monthly AMAs, episode shoutouts, voting on podcast topics, and all kinds of 20 Years Done gear, head over to patreon.com slash 20 years done. This month's top-tier Patreon shoutout goes to Robbie Walker, Travis Barnes, Kevin Traw, and JT Owens. Thanks for the support. Okay, so today we're joined by um, Ashley Grugan, the creator of the the vlog and the blog, The Diary of a Mixed Woman, who's been on the podcast multiple times since the beginning, kind of, right? Before it was a podcast, correct? Yeah, technically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. You're that like part dope. of the tapestry of the DNA of this podcast. Oh, snap. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> if you want to hear uh, Ashley's uh, thoughts on subjects, uh, because now that I'm uh, more responsible, I have my episode list up so I don't just randomly uh, shout out episode numbers that are, it turns out are not fucking correct and make people hunt for them. <laughs> uh, but if you want to hear Ashley's thoughts about what it's like to be a woman in maintenance, check out episode five. She also hosted a panel discussion about sexual assault, sexual harassment in the military that I was a part of, and she was nice enough to share that audio with us. That's the bonus episode between episode five and seven. Turns out the bonus episode had a number two, as it turns out. Oh, uh, she came back to talk about volunteerism in episode 10, where we, um, isn't that when we said the Air Force is a fucking cult? I think that was the one. Yep. That was the one where we yeah. said the Air Force is a fucking cult. Yep. Because it's true. Yep. And then she came back and talked uh, careerism with me and Eric Stromsky about how the Air Force misprioritizes everything. And then she Sounds came back and talked. Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force and social media, back when it was uh, an airman getting yelled at for asking, is it bass or base, which in hindsight seems like a pretty low, a low thing now. Yeah. And then she came back on again in episode 22 to talk Chief Master Sergeant on social media again. So, yes, <laughs> Ashley has a long history with the podcast. So all of her wonderful ideas are out there floating around. And because of the recent stuff been going on with talking about maintenance culture, I could think of no one better to sit down and get her opinion on maintenance culture. So welcome and thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to be here. Always happy to come on the show with you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Except for that one time I was like, hey, you want to do a podcast? You're like, sure. And then you showed up and I was like, all right, we're not doing the podcast today. We got some shit to work through. Yeah, I was not in a good way that day, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I always give Ashley the, the opportunity to have an out if it's a bad day. So that's to take care of Ashley, but also to make sure we have the highest quality content on the podcast. And she's just Absolutely. not going through the intellectual <laughs> motions, we'll say. So uh, that's us. All right. So um, so I've been doing a lot of episodes talking about the culture of maintenance ever since I did episode 30 with Mike Sissel and then the subsequent follow-up episode, episode 31 with Mike Sissel talking about maintenance culture. I got a lot of messages from people that had been on the podcast or wanted to be on the podcast to give their take as well. 
And uh, I reached out to you specifically because I know we've talked offline about the culture and maintenance. And uh, I'm really interested in your experience and your thoughts, because I think it's important that, you know, I, I, this, this might sound cliche and I don't know, it might sound whatever it is, but you're a woman and you're a woman of color and your experience in maintenance is probably fucking radically different than mine. So I think I, I'm not sure if we can accurately portray the culture of maintenance if we're only considering the white male perspective. Yeah. And I might get some shit for that, but it's like legitimately true, right? Yes, it is. So. It's because it's a very different experience, just men to male to female yep. in general. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and if that, if, if that particular uh, theory kind of rubs you the wrong way, maybe you're a new listener or you don't know me or Ashley or what we've talked about. <laughs> Uh, I, I highly recommend you go back to uh, the women in maintenance episode, episode five, uh, because for me, I thought I knew, but I really didn't know. And for me, it was very eye opening. So if the idea that I'm asking Ashley specifically to talk about her experience in maintenance because she's a woman and a woman of color rubs you the wrong way and you think that it, that shouldn't be considered, uh, check out episode five is what I'll say. <laughs> and then come back and then come back to this. And then if you still don't agree, leave a comment. Like there's never I'm not gonna like I said in episode uh oh shit. See now this is why I have the episode list up too. <laughs> uh like I said in episode uh uh I'm gonna edit this out for sure. Uh like I said in episode like I said in the second chief master on the air for episode, I'm not gonna block or ban anybody. You know what? I'm gonna hack all of that shit out. No one's going to see me struggling on that. So that's fine. Anyway, I don't fucking care. So broadly, I'm going to, I'm going to sound bite you saying, I don't fucking care. And I'm just going to intersperse it to, into all, all over the conversation. Everywhere Do I it. say, everywhere I say something, it's going to be actually like, I don't fucking care. It's like, people are going to listen and be like, God, she is fucking mean. <laughs> Why is she even on here? She doesn't care. It's so funny. All right. I don't know if that'll make it in the podcast. We'll see. Uh, all right. Yeah, I don't so, fucking care. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like how you're giving me varying sound bites too. Um, so, what do you th what do you think? I guess we'll start with broadly. Uh, do you think the the culture in aircraft maintenance is healthy? We'll say that. Absolutely not. Okay. So, what do you think is wrong? And you have one hour. Go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let me uh, bust out a. No, I'm just kidding. I only have a binder of things that are wrong with the <laughs> just one AMU alone. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, so what do I think is wrong? I think, um, and a, a lot of, uh, we can edit this out too. So you don't even worry about it. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't fucking care. <laughs> Be serious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, it's hard to articulate what is wrong because there's so many different things and, and they all are intertwined with each other. You know what I mean? Like you have this idea of being a maintainer means a badass, means being like a rebel, means being the redheaded stepchild of the air force. You know, it, it means it, it comes with, it comes with its badges of honors mm -hmm. and its badges of shame. You know, and some of the things that we are 
wearing as badges of honor really shouldn't be. Yeah, I agree with that. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's hard to really kind of nail all of that down, but it's the idea that being a maintainer specifically means embracing the suck mm -hmm. dealing with the bullshit regardless it means drinking uh alcohol consistently it means uh consuming energy drinks millions of times a day it means um you know tobacco i would say uh, absolutely 100 percent tobacco of any type now because you had people that weren't even smoking and then vape came along and you know now they can, you know, take their smoke breaks. And to be fair, that is kind of like a, and there's so many things that are intertwined, but because the culture is so shitty and you, you have to find all these vices and things. And, and again, some of it's a badge of honor. Like I'm a, you know, I'm a dirty crew chief, you know, I'm a, a knuckle dragger or whatever you want to call it. Um, and that, you know, comes with the territory. Like I used to tell people when they asked why I was smoking at such a young age, and I was like, it comes with a job description. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know? I, oh, cause I, when I joined the Air Force, I didn't smoke. And then, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but it was, I would see all the smokers take a break and I, I did, I wasn't afforded that opportunity. And, um, and then I also rationalized in my mind that every time the GFS started up and I was standing there, I was probably ingesting a pack's worth of carcinogens anyway. So it's like, what the, what the fuck does it matter, right? Literally blows right into your face. So, and then what, what was worse was, so then I started smoking in order to get like breaks. And then also very much what we talked about in episode 31, you form bonds in the smoke pit too. Like you don't even understand it has a social currency. That's where you get them. That's where you get information. Mm -hmm. You learn about. If you weren't, yeah. If you were in the in the smoke pit at Aviano after launch, you did not know what was going on for the rest of the day. Both maintenance wise, but also mentoring. It very well could be argued this podcast is a maintenance smoke pit. What we do here. Oh yes, absolutely. You know, it's a chance for yeah. me to impart information to other people, to be a soundboard, to get their perspective, to play off of it, to give advice. And this is what I learned. That's that's what the smoke pit is. And then unfortunately, uh, you get addicted to the cigarettes. You can't smoke as much as you want to Then your addiction driving. So then you transition to dip. So that way you can keep working and get your nicotine. So then you lost the fucking benefit, which was yep. the break. Getting and now you're just line. fucking uh, working on jaw cancer and shit, right? Yeah. And that's, and that was the other part of it too, is, you know, that it comes that it's, it's the break. Mm -hmm. It's the break of the day is, you know, I, my jet just went up, you know, it's 445 in the morning or, you know, 745 at night or whatever during night flying. And you're just like, I'm still getting my day started. I'm not ready to deal with the bullshit yet. Yeah. Let me go smoke a cigarette while I chug my energy drink so I can be ready for being fucked for the day. It feels like a snooze alarm or the ultimate procrastination. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm going to smoke, smoke a cigarette and I'm not going to be in this anymore. Or how many times where you can't, for whatever fucking reason, get a B-nut started in a weird fucking place and you twist it <laughs> and you think it started and you put the wrench on it and then it pops off and you're like, you fucking lied to me for the 37th time and you throw your shit down, you stand up and you go smoke. Yes. You don't get to stand up. And go, I'm going to watch Maury Povich for five minutes. Like, that's yeah. not a fucking no. justification. 
It's not. So, I've, I've literally done that. And I'm thinking about like, I remember throwing my tools down on the ground and being like, fucking, I'm going to smoke. I've done that lots of times. Yeah. And so I want to circle back around real quick. You said it's really hard to encapsulate maintenance culture. And you're right. And I think if you look at our episodes list, you know, all the episodes we've done this podcast, it's it's been us trying to compartmentalize and segment out individual contributions to maintenance culture that is really having a, an adverse impact on people that are currently serving. Absolutely. So now it's like, I think I'm trying to pull all those threads together. And that's why you're here to help, you know, give your take and add add to the tapestry, I guess. Yeah. Sounds awfully fancy for a maintainer podcast. So It does. I like it though. <laughs> you bougie. It's that fancy law school learning they're giving me. <laughs> Look, mom, I got a degree. Uh, you're um, starting to sound like a noner. Oh, oh, I'm I'm nonnered up. I did a whole episode on fucking noners. I know, I know. <laughs> and I'm not supposed to use that word anymore. Is the uh, they're non-maintainers. Oh, shame what on I me. To I apologize. With. I apologize to That's, all you non-maintainers out there. Shout out to Val Rawlings. Oh, Nonner. I love me some Val. I love her. Yeah, so. she's the best. She's the best noner I know, but she's like the only noner I know. So. Um, <laughs> I swear we're not drunk or high during this podcast either. It sounds like it. I think it's because we haven't it's just talked been to each a other in a while. Time, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, this whoever's being in their drive, being afflicted with me and Ashley just hanging out. Sorry. Uh, if you're a subscriber, you can ask for a refund and I'll give it to you. <laughs> so, man, I don't know how much is going to make it the podcast. I might keep everything so people really know how ratchet it is. But yeah, for real. Um, so. All right, let's get back on topic a little bit. I want to, I want to, I want to put something out there right off the bat because I think what I've been doing and all the advocacy I've been, I've been doing has been maybe misunderstood and mischaracterized just a little bit. So I want to be really explicit. Maintenance is hard. Maintenance is supposed to be hard. Like I'm not saying that people shouldn't work hard and there's going to be some long hours. Like that's just the nature of the beast with maintenance, and I don't think there's much getting away from it. Uh, especially now where the, the and, I, and also when I say the experience is lower, that's not a slight, it's not like I'm a, I'm a boomer saying the younger generation doesn't have the work ethic or anything. What I'm saying is I've gotten some data. I'm hoping to pull it all together for an article eventually that the experience, the bottom fell out on the experience on a lot of AFSCs at, under the force shaping. And I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, but a bunch of three levels have been showing up over the last five years. And that's, those aren't experienced people. And when you're a staff sergeant and you're trying to learn to be a better staff sergeant and you're pulled away and now you're competing to teach an airman and also teach yourself, but also get the jet fixed as soon as fucking possible because super is going to micromanage you and tell you what to do or AFIS is going to shit out something or you're going to do an engineering disposition after a day of troubleshooting. There's no time. Uh, highly recommend if you haven't already read the article. So what's with the seven levels as well, because I really describe how you grow you grow people through failure and through long hours, and eventually you're going to get better, but you have to give the latitude to like do it. What I'm saying is, is what's wrong and what I'm advocating for is the Air Force is poor. They're poor. They just don't know it. And they're just spending all their fucking credit cards is the only way I can describe it. They're poor. You can't do the bullshit TDYs anymore. You can't do the air shows you can't do the fucking flyover. There's some shit going on at Dias Air Force Base where they were like making airmen come back in and working a full shift after only being off for like four to six hours. Excuse me? Strictly so they could do a Super Bowl flyover. So like- Excuse me? 
I understand you're going to work 12 hours if you have to, if you, if Taliban or, or like, if, if there's like a real world thing, yeah, you're going to work long hours. It's going to be hard as fuck, but that's when you pull from your people. But the problem is when you have sustained ops tempo for the dumb shit, for all the luxury items that ops and your supervisor are too stupid to know there's between needs and wants. When you go to pull that really important fucking thing where you need your people to hump it out and work, their, their gas tank's empty because you've been using them for all the dumb shit for the last six months, nine months, 18 months, 36 months, whatever. So I'm advocating for the Air Force needs to recognize they're poor. Stop doing all the dumb shit, which goes to the careerism discussion, which goes to the volunteerism discussion, which goes to all the other fucking discussions we've had. That's all the dumb shit. You shouldn't promote off that. You shouldn't take people's time to do that. But also recognize that at some point, like the maintainers, we're not stupid. We know the Air Force fucked up. We all know it. It's like when I was nine years old and I didn't do my fucking homework and the teacher's like, all right, pull out your fucking homework. And all the other kids are pulling theirs out. And I got my ratchet ass fucking backpack with like rotten food in the bottom. And I'm rooting around through it, trying to pretend like, oh, it's totally in here. Everybody knows that shit's not in there. And I'm doing this big Academy Award winning fucking thing, trying to pretend like I got the answer. And, oh, I just I don't know what happened. It was in here. I swear. (laughs) Maintainers know the Air Force fucked up with with maintenance. I've laid it out like the experience, the manning, the fleet, all of it. They fucked up. Yeah. And part of part of fixing it is beginning get going, we fucked up. You're right. We fucked up. That will never happen. But that's like the problem is for every day they don't. For every day that that they're posting about, oh, it's great to be a maintainer, they're putting the the veneer on that culture without recognizing that their mismanagement contributed to people in extreme distress. And those people know it, it's disingenuous. Mm-hmm. The Air Force needs to stop and go, we fucked up. Here's what we're turning off to make your lives better. And Take here's action. the plan going forward. And we yes. know we're going to ask you to do a lot of hours, but we're only going to ask you to do the hours for the important things. And until yes. they do that, I'm going to keep doing a podcast. It, 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 yeah. it might just be me ranting every fucking week. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's not untrue, though, but... I mean, that's facts like they've we know we've all the, that's what the, all the smoke pit like uh smoke pit conversations are that's you go to a barbecue with a bunch of maintainers on a saturday if they're not working <laughs> and that's what they're fucking bitching about everyone's all the dudes or whoever works there is are standing in a corner with a beer in their hand bitching about how they got fucked about how manning's fucked about how everything is 04 BQ, everything's on back order. You know, I, morale is on back order. You know, they, that's all they, they talk about because they, they know what's wrong. They see what's wrong and they know that they are not being valued the way that they should be valued. You have these people that have knowledge and skill and experience. And just because they're younger or don't have that next stripe on yet, they won't listen to them. Yep. It does because it doesn't matter. I would argue that they're not going to listen to them as long as they're saying something <laughs> negative. I mean, oh th- yeah, that's what that's what's come out from from Air Force. Um, that's what's come out from the Air Force messaging, where I, I might I might think I'm really important, and it may not be directed at me. Where that's where at the last coffee talk it was directed that there's quote unquote disgruntled retirees that are just chucking chucking trash into the Air Force. Like if that's how it's perceived, that I'm just here to complain about the Air Force. 
um, I think you're missing the entire point of everything yeah. that I fucking do. Like, yeah. ultimately, I should run out of things to talk about. Like, this podcast is mainly focused on making shit better. And eventually, it's going to get to a point where it's better. Like, that's mm -hmm. the goal. I'm trying to work myself out of having a podcast. Yeah. That's it. So absolutely like my goal is not to make the Air Force look bad. My my goal is to hold the Air Force accountable. And if they're behaving badly, they're going to look bad. And to understand that there are ways that they could approach <clears throat> certain things better. And that maybe that there are some issues that they're not paying attention to or don't even know fucking exist. Yep. Like that's what I hate about some of this stuff. Like when it comes to podcasting or, or any type of outreach you know, social justice or, or whatever kind of justice. And when people shit on it and say things like that, you know, they're disgruntled or they're, they're upset or, you know, these people are just angry or whatever it is that they want to say. You're not listening to the message. Yep. You just feel attacked. Yeah, that's true. You're scared to do your own self-reflection, whether that's as the Air Force, whether that's as a nation or whatever case may be. No one wants to accept responsibility for the fact that this is the current situation that we're in and it needs to be fucking changed. That's not my fault. I'm trying to tell you what yep. it is. You don't want to change it. That's your fault. But I think to be a skilled podcaster in Segway, I think that goes back to what you were talking about in the maintenance culture is one of the things that we carry really heavily in the maintenance culture is the idea that we're a badass, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is just a crass way of describing an ego, correct? Oh, yeah. It's 100% egotistical. It's literally douchebag 101. It's kind of gross. Yeah, I'm talking just and that's where the whole shit non honors thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. it's all ego. But at the same time, in my experience, the ego works against you. Because mm -hmm. you're really afraid to admit, I don't know how to pull off a fucking stab. I've never done a stab. Like, that's yeah. scary. And you don't want to admit to it. Or any number of things. And that ego, that same image, it's, it's you're chasing image is part yeah. of it. And that's not Absolutely. good at all. No, it's not. And I think that lends to abuse. Yeah, they're okay with looking like that, though. Like, they're okay with, uh, you know walking around with their, you know, their coverall pants and looking all, you know, scrubby or whatever, because like, oh, I know that's a maintainer, mm -hmm. you know, like they, they want that image. They want mm -hmm. to look like that. And it's not, I have nothing against that. I mean, I've gone to the shop at like, yeah, that I do too. It everyone, time. you know, everyone's done it, but I, you know, that was like a, in the middle of the shift thing or whatever, but you know, you can, you can tell that there's people that are really proud about, you know, their job and, and the street cred, you yeah. know, or Air Force street cred, I guess, that, that it comes with in the territory. And I think it's kind of gross because it's, it's all toxic, the, all of it. None of it's good for your... I love that you guys brought up the four pillars. Oh, yeah. I love that you brought that up because I am such... You know, I get a hard on for that. Um, I love resiliency. <laughs> but, you know, they're they're not taking care of their mental. They're not taking care of their social. They're not... They might be taking care of their social a little too much, to be honest. Um so in in a way not really taking care of it mm -hmm. they're not taking care of their their physical their spiritual or their mental in the way mm -hmm. that they need to be and i'm not saying that there's not one individual you know there's there's a little sprinkling of them everywhere that actually you know want to accomplish something and mm -hmm. you know use this as a stepping stone or whatever or, or whatever the case may be but for the most part that's pretty much what everyone does 
I mean, look at how the E4 mafia was glorified, right? Yeah. And that is literally just bad behavior. Yep. And ego. It was just, and exactly. And they they were glorifying that. And what does that do for any of those four pillars? Absolutely fucking nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just, none of it's good for you. So I guess, what do you think are like the primary drivers for the culture maintenance just being, I mean, bankrupt is probably the word I would use at this point. It just feels like we're scraping the bottom of the barrel for making shit happen. And we don't even know that it's bad. Part of it is history. I I think that there is, there's definitely a sense of pride to be had in mm-hmm. being a maintainer for mm-hmm. sure. We make shit happen. We are one of the few career fields that can actually see direct results of our work. Yep. You know, we launch that jet into the air and it comes back down and you know that you were a part of that process yep. and that feels good. And even if you're not the crew chief launching it, if you're, you know, the weapons guy at UR, the weapons guy that, you know, put installed the gun on it last night, whatever, you know, it's easy to see direct results of the work that you do. So there is a level of pride to be had in that, but I do think that that pride turned into an ego over time. And then it just turned into this self perpetuating cycle that has just gotten worse over time because people keep adding to it and they come in with this idea, like, this is what a maintainer is. This is what I'm going to do. Or even if they don't come in with that idea, because I I did, I came Mm -hmm. in with that because my dad was a maintainer. You know, I was around the military the majority of my life. So I had an idea of what maintenance was supposed to be like. So I automatically come in with this idea. And then you've got kids that are genuinely nice, decent human beings that come into maintenance and they force themselves to adapt to the behavior so that they can fit in. Yep. Right. And then it molds them and it, and then those kids turn someone else into that. And, you know, and it's just like, it's just this own non-sustainable poison that just, keeps circulating into the bloodstream of maintenance i think that's what it is i remember when i was a section chief i won't say where just i'm gonna try to keep a little bit of distance in this story i had a guy i think he's like a senior or an a1c and he would he had not fit in initially like you can just tell people are not cut out for that environment but they really try hard i think he was picked on quite a bit which is Mm -hmm. the standard ops in uh aircraft maintenance for a new guy that's out out on the outside looking in and then eventually he kind of was like sort of a part of the crew, but not really, really not the inner circle, like on the fringe. And then a new person showed up and they were a little bit weird. And he just fucking railed that guy with like treating him like shit and yelling at him and, uh, you know, tell him to get out of the truck and doing all these like it's very akin to like the monkeys beating the other monkey in the cage like. Well, I don't even know why I'm beating them anymore, you know? Yes. And it's like that culture. And I think there's a certain amount of, I will say, I think there's a certain amount of benefit of thickening your skin when you come into maintenance. Yeah, absolutely. But that's only because maintenance as it is now is is a hot, is a genuinely hostile work environment, right? So like the thickening of the skin and preparing somebody for the the upcoming abuse that they're going to get, even though I don't think many maintainers really understand or articulate the thought that the the hazing they initially do to a new guy is really preparing his resiliency for the, the pro super that's going to fuck him on a Friday and his flight mm. chiefs that's going to get him on something. Like it's preparing him just for the misery. 
embrace the suck, as you said earlier, right? Yes. Um, but it's Oof. also like that's a coping mechanism for an inherently dysfunctional environment. And that might be a stopgap. But let's recognize that for what it is. But let's figure out why the fuck do we have to have so much hostility and so much universal maltreatment of everyone all the fucking well, time? Because that's how it was when this person was in or when they first came up on the line. That's how it was for them. That's how they got treated. They got their the forms fucking thrown at their face on the flight line. You know, they had all that shit going on. They, you know, talking about, oh, I could smoke on the flight line back in the day. You just had to be behind the yellow line. You know, all that crap or, or you know, the the different types of trash can rodeos, the, the TDY haircuts, the the uh, eyebrow shavings and, you know, the dick drawings on their faces and taking apart someone's headset or, you know, whatever. Like they, they kept saying those things over and over and over again. Like that's how it was for me. I'm going to do that to the next person. And it just keeps trickling down. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that was the idea that it was like that when I came up, I think that permeates a lot of what's going on in aircraft maintenance or just the air force in general, because that's how chiefs perpetuate a fucked up promotion system that focuses on the wrong things because it resulted in them being promoted to chief. So therefore, it must be good. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the maintenance leader I had at Holloman, if you look at the stories when a leader is a shit leader, that's the same guy. And he was very much a, 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 of, of the idea that because he had been maltreated and now he's a senior master sergeant and, and now currently a chief master sergeant, then that maltreatment is an integral part of his success. So therefore it's all fucking justified because Absolutely. that's how he was built. And that is like, yes. like, like I get that that's how you came up and it resulted in wherever you are now. But I would also argue that he's toxic as fuck. So that environment made him a terrible fucking leader. Uh, again, reference articles when a leader is a shit leader. And if you think that's a good leader, you're probably listening to the wrong fucking podcast. But at some point, don't you go, I want to make it better for my guys than how it was for me like how is that not a a a regular thought process in a leader's i mean that's that's really what servant leadership is right i'm going to put my people my people's interests ahead of my own interest which in yep. the air force very often your career goals are diametrically opposed to your people's like care yeah. like the environment you create for them because he okay we can't fly that sortie or we can't do this because my people are burned out or or like with that story like no uh they're gonna go home they're gonna go to sleep they'll be in at six in the morning and the jets might be a little bit late and that's the way it is it's a training mission uh, it, there could be a tornado tomorrow and nobody's gonna fly away who fucking cares um but i agree the idea that I, I just feel like as a leader, you have a responsibility to make it. I mean, that's that's literally my goal in life is to make the world a better place than than it was when I came in. I would I want to in a very small way, I want to contribute to the world being better. And I don't understand how that's not everybody's fucking perspective, especially a leader that has direct control over the environment that their people operate in. Like Absolutely. how cowardly do you have to be to flippantly say it sucked for me. That's the way it is. I, I think it's funny because like these same people will go home and, you know, m give their kids a different life than what they grew up with. Yep. Right. But at work, they'll come at home. They'll, they'll come back to work the next day and they'll justify it in their head by saying, well, at least I'm not like my old supervisor. He was, you know, he did this or whatever. Like, 
you had the idea that you wanted to be a really good supervisor in your head. You wanted to be better than that, than that one person. And then just because you altered one thing that you didn't like about your interactions with that person, you're still carrying the rest of that trauma with you and you're yeah. still shitting on your kids. I did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did it. I took the time to get to know my kids when I first became a supervisor and I like, you know, they all, I made sure that they all have my phone number. I told them where I lived, you know, I obviously they had the recall roster, but like make sure that they knew that they were welcome and, and stuff like that. I wanted to be exactly the opposite of my first supervisor. Yep. Exactly the opposite. He was the worst. And for the most part, I did a pretty good job of keeping up with them and, and talking to them and making sure that there wasn't like shit going on in their lives. But then there was this one kid who I had a preconceived idea about who he was because of what everyone else told me. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of a, he was a fuck up, but he needed guidance and not like everyone ruined. Like this kid had the worst, like circumstantial luck I've ever seen ever. Mm -hmm. He was just like the victim of circumstance four or five times in a weekend. And I had to go to the commander's office for like three different ones of those. And two of them were with the cops. So I didn't have to go to that. But, you know, it was just like. And they were all miscommunications and dumb bullshit. And but they wanted to eat this kid alive. Yep. And I was like, no, I don't I don't know that I want to be like that. And that's kind of when I started to realize I was like, you know what? I really need to do better as a supervisor and like actually take care of them and like stand up for them because I feel like I failed him. And then, you know, as you get older and into different positions, like the more I got away from the line and did office jobs, like I I ran PT and I did training. And so I can also talk to you about that whole five level shit. If you ever want to talk about that, (laughs) that was a fucking nightmare. Yeah. That was a nightmare. It's all lies, right? It's all lies, right? (laughs) It's all lies, right? I mean, it's not TBA. I can't like 30%, right? 30% of TBA is probably accurate. I hate it. I hate training so much. Like I loved what I did when I was doing it, but the way that they go about it, but I was, I was talking about like the, the five level influx and like the seven level, (laughs) but I can talk about everything that we, another time, another time, obviously, (laughs) but you know, the more I enter, I had to interact with people more when I did fitness and training, I had to, you know, do their, their five level and some level yep. CDC reviews and shit like that. And I, I ran the PT program. I was in a hands-off UFPM. So I knew what was going on in these people's lives. And like, the more I learned, the more I just realized how shitty this environment is, this yep. work environment, these, they have nothing that they can lean on truly that they can lean on. And, you know, kind of like how you talked about in the other episode about, you know, going to see mental health. There's, there are repercussions. No one wants, no leader wants to openly admit that, but it's the fucking truth. Mm -hmm. There are repercussions for going to mental health and that's fucked up. Yep. That's fucked up. And they have nowhere to go. You know, and I want to say something real quick and I'm, I'm sure Ashley will agree with me here. When Ashley refers to her new airmen as kids, it's absolutely, I promise you, it's not condescending. It's not suggesting they're actually children. I, I suspect, and I'm sure she'll agree, that especially as I got longer in my career, I started realizing that these were teenagers. And they're, they're, and it was like, it really breaks my heart thinking about a guy that killed himself at Holloman too, because he was like 18 years old. And he was such a good kid. And, you know, I see 
it's like his their parents like built this person from birth to 18 years old and like guided him through life and taught him everything and and was like careful to keep the guardrails on but not too close that way he'd learn and fail and there's it's like you're just trying i know this as a father myself you're trying to get your person you're the person you created to get out into the world and be ready but you don't want to hurt them too much to get them ready like you're trying to like get them ready and i just saw this guy he was 18 years old and then you know he killed himself in uh january i think january of 2019 and like he was a he was a kid i saw him as as my kid like his like the people joining the air force the enlisted joining the air force and probably even the officers i mean the the older i get the more old old kids are in my mind like 25 is a kid at this point in my mind right but that is parents growing this person and then handing them off to the military and trusting much like in our suicide discussion with Jim, trusting their life to that organization that they're going to treat that person with respect and care. And so like when you talk about your kids, that is a, I think I see that as a, as a, as a moniker or a label of affection that you carried cared about them not just as an airman but yeah. as like you were you were their charge like you were responsible for their well-being their parents were gone that was handed off to you and you're going to help grow them both as a person as as an airman as as a mechanic and eventually as a leader so uh anybody listening that hears the word kids trust me that is not in any way shape or form condescending for these yeah, guys. I also I'm glad that you actually said that because I want to I wanted to insert something. Uh, so a lot of the times it's said in a very jocular manner, but supervisors take it, you know, kind of seriously. But, you know, we we call our supervisors like dad or, or mom, you know, I was called dad. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yep. <laughs> you know, but like is because that's what exactly what you're saying is it's true. Like, it's funny it's playful, but it's, you know, there is some level of affection there. And like your kid gets in trouble, like, all right, well, who's your dad? Let's go find him. And then, you know, your supervisor has to deal with it in whatever way, but like that's, there's, it's true. I'd say for, I can't say that for everyone. I don't think that all supervisors are like that. No, I agree. I'm just, especially in maintenance. I'm talking about you and me right now. Like I, I feel we use kids in, as a as affection and understanding yeah. what our responsibilities are Absolutely. beyond the scope of the brown book and the blue book and all the other yeah. written words trying to tell airmen how to be good people. But yeah. um, so I just wanted to set that straight too. Yeah. But I guess, so I, I have my experience in aircraft maintenance, which I've written about and I've spoken about. We've talked offline and online and all that stuff. And I wonder what did you, you know, did you have any experiences in your career that you think was motivated, driven or exacerbated by the fact you were a woman, the fact you were a woman of color or anything like that? Do you think there was something that you're like, what the fuck? This doesn't happen to anybody but me. I said it before in another one of the episodes. I can't remember which one it was that I said, but it's hard to figure out if the experience that I had was different because I was a person of color because I was a female or because of my rank. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, 
especially in maintenance, they love their power structures. Honestly, just yeah. in general, they love the power structures that they get. You know, positional power really does go to people's head. Yep. And you get that with more stripes on your arms and yep. bars and shit. And the lack so, of a general accountability. Yeah, that all that as well. <laughs> yeah, it's power so. without accountability. When when does that ever work? It doesn't. That's ever. not a thing. It's not a thing. You have to have checks and balances. Um, but yeah, so it's it's hard to determine what moments that I experienced were because of one thing individually, because I have to ask myself that every time I dealt with someone, mm -hmm. when I was experiencing something, are you doing this to me because of my rank? Are you doing this to me because I'm a woman or are you doing this to me because of my color? Or is it a combination of these things? Mm -hmm. And so I will say that some of the, I was given a lot of shitty tasks. Mm-hmm when i was at aviano for like my first year i literally like once i became a senior airman when i was still begging to do maintenance like hard maintenance i was like i've been on swing shift for over a year and you guys never put me on the hard shit i don't know how to do anything because you guys have me doing you know i can do the hell out of a lube i can drop some tanks i can change some tires i can do I can do those things very well and, and, and uh, engine bay inspections and shit like that. But you guys don't let me do anything else. I haven't been a part of any of the gears. I haven't been a part of any ADG. I haven't been, a, you know, begging, literally begging to do maintenance. And so then when I became a fucking staff sergeant, mm -hmm. um, actually before I even became a staff sergeant, we were deployed and I had a line number and they expedited my exes because I hadn't been through ALS yet. Mm -hmm. They got the waiver approved. And so the very first adult thing that I did while deployed was stuff a fucking motor mm. as a seven level. I was fucking terrified. Mm -hmm. I had done plenty of them, but I personally did not feel prepared to have those kinds of exes because I didn't have the experience. I didn't yep. have the knowledge. I'm fucking deathly terrified of fly controls. <laughs> mm. Of like working on them or getting clocked by them? Working on them. Okay. I can do anything else. I can tanks, landing gear, fucking whatever, but I just couldn't. Fly controls is just not my thing. Mm -hmm. I was scared that I was going to fuck some shit up. Yep. You know, don't ask me to go anywhere near the PDU, please. It just because I didn't know. I didn't know. I get know. it. I get it. Because I was just I, I spoiler, everybody's that way. It's just yeah. how open they are to admitting it, right? Yeah. But what's yeah. really interesting is you're telling a story about when you were a senior airman with a line number for staff and you were given red X's and all you had really done in the past was tanks and tires, panels and whatever. And then you got a, an engine, an engine install. Yeah. I had the I exact same experience. It I felt pretty terrifying. comfortable around motors because I had been on quite a few stuffs, but I've never led one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I did my part shoving it in and then, you know, someone, you know, everyone did their own little task once the motor was inside. I didn't, you know, have to manage the entire event. I asked if I could go to, um, phase. I was like, give me six weeks, six months, like something, give me some time to work and get to know this fucking jet. You know what I mean? And I knew quite a few things. Like I, you know, I, I got into the, the GSs and the double O's and shit like that. And I, I knew the theory of operation, which actually came in handy a lot of times. Like it is. 
Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it helped us figure out that it was a K strain and not the pump and mm-hmm. that we kept shelling, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that kind of shit. You know, I had some of that kind of stuff down, but I was like, I need, I need to put some of this stuff into practice and I'm, I need to get more experience with these things. I've never done these things before. And I want to be a good seven level. I want to be able to train people on how to do shit because I did not get that. Like I had a couple of good supervisors. One of them, um, was a great guy he got kicked out during 2014 thing and it really really pissed me off um but you know he he taught me quite a bit on the line and but it it just wasn't enough it wasn't enough and i I never felt comfortable teaching someone how to do something Mm. other than maybe dropping some tanks or like a leak and squeak or something you know i just didn't feel comfortable being able to do that kind of stuff with a five level you know, what's interesting, you talked about you were begging to get on heavy maintenance. And I suspect that there's a lot of listeners that are in aircraft maintenance that probably feel the same way. There seems to be this um, culture, at least in a lot of the units I've been in, and you know, I can only speak from my experience and whatever you can provide to the conversation too, where there's almost like this this inner click of the heavy hitters and they oh, the fucking, good boy club. And, but they jealously guard all the heavy maintenance and it's 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 a and most most production people expediters and supers are happy with it because those are the guys that, that get shit done and they can get it done but there's also this sort of elitism inside of the maintenance community where those guys are like they're the go-to pinch hitters for the heavy stuff and they want to exclude other people from knowing it because a lot of their value is centered on the fact that that they are the one they are the ones that you go to for that. Yeah. And if they share that, they're going to lose some of their status because other people are going to be able to do what they do as well, which is a really fucking insecure ego protecting sort of thing as well, I would imagine. Yeah, but and then, and uh, it's part of the whole good old boy system anyway because then, you know, your supers and your expeditors get involved in that and your flight chiefs get involved in that and then when that person goes on a fucking short notice MRT, mm-hmm. and now you don't have anybody that can do other things and you're fucked. So, you use the term good old boy and Mike used the term good old boy and I I feel like I don't have the same definition of good old boy as you and Mike because both of you use it different than how I would use it. So I'm, I'm interested, what do you, what, what's the good old boy club? To me, it's a clique of people that reign supreme in your work environment. And how do you get into the good old boy club? Oh, you were like, I don't fucking know. Cause I ha- no, I was going <laughs> to, I'm going to say a lot of vulgar things. Go ahead. I put the E on here. If you're, if you're an episode, whatever episode number this is going to be, and you're like, this language offends me. Like, I don't know what the no. fuck you've been listening to. Are you going to drop some C-bombs? I'm a different person now, Chris. <laughs> All right. There's a lot of gestures that I want to make with my Well, hands. I don't really release these videos anymore. I'll do like a video clip, and it's not going to be you just flailing. So, oh, <laughs> okay. So See? brown brown nosers. Yeah, that's Yeah, sure. I used... <laughs> That's what you want to call it. <laughs> okay. So that's what I saw too, where it was more about sucking up to the flight chief, sucking up to the expediter, going golfing with the expediter on weekends, um, hanging out at the smoke pit in time with those particular people, you know, doing all these things that were not related to your work ethic, the quality of your work or anything like that. Right. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's that's what I saw the good old boy club as well. Yeah, absolutely. That might be the yeah, right I, definition. I, I think I might have just misunderstood everybody because that's the exact definition I have of the good old boy club. Yeah, I mean, that's exact. I mean, I feel like we've all come to the same conclusion. Probably just use it differently, maybe interchangeably with something. I don't always remember the heavy maintenance crew also necessarily always being the good old boy club, if that makes sense. Maybe that's where my disconnect is. Oh, yeah. Is. Okay. So I see what you mean. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, the way that I look at it is like they're in tight with the expediters, mm-hmm. you know? And so if they, if they, if an ADG comes up and they want it, they're getting it, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Or if they don't want to be on the ADG and they want to do some easier shit like magical toes, musical toes. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll let them go do that and put someone else on it that doesn't want to do it or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. I remember when I was at a sub level and I really kind of came into my own experience, I told my expert, I think it was Brian Ingram. I was like, hey, like, I know I'm one of the guys you lean on for everything. And I and I, and I know I try really hard and I, I'll always stay late. I don't want to do cockpit panels anymore. So, like, that's my thing. I will do them if you tell me to. But I would prefer it be anybody but me every fucking time, no matter what. And I think I actually got kind of that, which is like a, that's a little bit of that good old boy privilege type of deal where it's like, yeah. I'm not going to do, I wouldn't care about lube. I wouldn't care about all the other terrible things. I just yeah. I hate fucking cockpit panels with yeah. passion. The kick panels? All of the plastic I, panels yeah, that break. No, I, yes, absolutely. All I, the I got time. put on that shit all the time too. But I'm also like on, six foot four in an F-16 cockpit. Yeah. So that's my No, I, I get it. I get it. I'm not a fan. <laughs> of the size or the height of that jet either so not not don't love it but yeah no like the i mean i pfar the reason why i love that man is because i could talk to him about that kind of stuff and i was like help once he got to aviano i felt so much better and then eventually i did become a part of the swing shift heavy hitting club Mm -hmm. i didn't hit i didn't get all the fancy dancy shit but you know maybe i started getting pumps and i started getting reservoirs and you know stayed late to help with a door that wouldn't close or whatever you know i got into some of that kind of stuff and i i started to learn more i was able to take that kind of shit with me but i had to beg for that kind of shit like no one else was really begging for those things i would literally i would get cut out and i would go help someone with their lube because i was just like i want to do my part here, mm-hmm. you know, I would help them with whatever, or, you know, go help somebody shove a ventral up, whatever, you know, just like, I just wanted to be a part of the experience and learn more and see what else was going on because I just kept getting stuck on fucking canopy cleaning and, you know, uh, RTV seals and, you know, dumb shit on swing shift. Yep. That's the money shift. And I wanted to be a part of the money making process. And I couldn't be, you know, I had a, uh, I had a staff sergeant at hollow. I had two staff sergeants at Holloman. One was not a very good performer, both leadership wise, technical abilities. And, you know, I don't know what career path he took before I met him. Like, I don't know if it was mock and then support and then, you know, TODO and then, you know, right down the line. And now he's here with red X's and I, I can't rely on him for anything. Cause by the way, his TVA is all fucking pencil whipped. Uh, sidebar Um, and then i had another uh seven level who was the guy that knew everything that that was the the guy that you go to for everything and he would get so mad at other staff sergeants for not carrying his weight he gets so pissed off at him for just doing targeting pods or you know whatever it was and he would just ride him and shit on him and like badmouth him to airmen and all this stuff and it's like okay i get that that staff sergeant doesn't know as much as you, 
But how do you get that staff sergeant to know as much as you? You fucking go grab him every time. Because So the question is, are you really mad that that staff sergeant doesn't know as much as you? Or are you angry and you want to keep him down so that way you have a punching bag at work all fucking day long? And you get to be the guy who just looks good and is the fucking pinch hitter for every single difficult maintenance thing. You don't share your information. You're not part of the team. And then you can be abusive because you're so valuable that you can't get, you know, punished truly. Like those are the things I would see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I saw a lot of that as well. So, I mean, it's possible that they were doing it with different kinds of motives and like trying to withhold that information to maintain that status that they had for sure. But like as a female, for me, I just felt like I was outside of the circle in mm -hmm. some way all of the time. Most of the time, the group of people that I was with at Aviano for like from 2012 to 2013 was just like gold, mm -hmm. yep. chef's kiss. It was nothing compares to the work that we did together. and you're a chef so you and actually that's a, a authoritative chef's kiss yeah yes, yeah chef's kiss yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that appreciate yep. that little ego boosting appreciate congratulations that. on your graduation well done <laughs> thank you appreciate yep. that as well summa cum laude bitch <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but so yeah like i just felt like there was always this one thing there was always something that kept me outside of the circle mm in some way shape or form and the the backlash that you get from that so like let's say that i'm in the circle and well now all the wives are pissed off <laughs> yeah that was there was like no winning there really um and then from a from a uh, perspective of my skin tone this is going to sound weird to people right, right that are that might be listening but i was the accepted type of black person mm, i hear you you know what i mean mm -hmm. and so for listeners that don't understand what i'm saying i am a mixed person mm -hmm. i am light-skinned which is historically you know we've got the colorism thing historically that is the ideal type or skin color of a person of color right mm -hmm. and then because i grew up differently i didn't grow up in the states i didn't grow up in certain environments i grew up on a military installation so i have a very neutral personality like mm -hmm. it doesn't you can't really place me from anywhere mm -hmm. in the world um and associate me with stereotypes because like I don't I don't make sense to people's heads I guess, um, but you know, so I was the accepted kind, and so like people that are darker skin color were you know cast to the side in certain situations. I wouldn't say all of them. Um, the crowds that I put myself in most of the time to include our swing shift crew was a very mixed group of people. Mm -hmm. You know, we had every spectrum. Um, from the globe right but then i also would see things like um especially in weapons i don't know if that's just something that you and i have noticed oh yeah but seeing that there are a lot of black people that are in weapons i don't know why it's black people and country people country white people and weapons that's so accurate i don't and like i know that sounds horrible for me to say but every maintainer's like oh shit he's right yeah it's it's weird but like <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that and I noticed that, you know, people would stay away from the the black people that hung out together in weapons. Mm. 
you know what I mean? And like, if we saw them in public, they would stay away from them or, or whatever. I just felt like I was the accepted person of color, mm. if that makes sense, or female of, of color in the group. And so I don't, I, I'm not sure if my color particularly might have had an impact on my experiences mm -hmm. in certain in a, in a lot of situations but there were times where it was very obvious that this person was just kind of just straight up a racist yeah you know and so anyone of color would just not okay in their books he had every stereotype to stay out loud um I had to change a tire on my car because it was flat and I came into work and my expediter is like, I've been there for like three months. And he was like, Oh, it's typical to show up on colored people time. Like he said, CP time. And I was like, mm -hmm. what the fuck? I have never been late. I was like, I called ahead and said that I was going to be late because I had to change the tire on my car. Mm -hmm. And he was like, Oh, that's a, I'm sure that's a likely excuse. And I was like, the fuck you don't know me, dude. Like what the fuck? I'm never late. I have a, I get anxiety about being late and it's, it has a lot to do with racism. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> Weirdly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm the, the color thing that's it's, that's a complicated subject for it me is. in particular, especially as a female um, and, and as a light skinned, you know, mixed person. So I don't know that I can speak to some of the same experiences that other people might've experienced. I've seen them. I've seen what other people might have been experiencing. And I have come to terms with the fact that I was ashamed of myself for not saying anything about that kind yeah. of shit. I think it goes back to if you, if you know, the women in maintenance discussion, like much like the allowing the inappropriate jokes to progress because you didn't want to be the person that was like the ruining their fun. And then it would be boundary pushing. It's probably very similar. And then you yes. have a bad day or it's just cross the line. You make a stinky over it. And then they act like you're overreacting or yes. you, you had been cool with it up until now. And now mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're playing the race card or whatever. Yes. yes. You know? Oh, yes. And it's like, yeah. Oh, I did get the mad black woman thing a lot. That was something that was said frequently, but I'm not sure that some of that translated necessarily towards my work or my ability to do my job. If that makes yeah, sense. because it's it's hard to know, right? Yeah, it is. It really is. You described that you were put on lubes, tires, tanks for a year on swing shift, and you begged to get on heavy maintenance. And then you're also saying that there were times where they make comments about you're showing up late because of cover, colored people time, and you would kind of be able to hang out and, and be around, but you never knew. Like, you don't have an explanation of why you were kept from heavy maintenance for a year, right? Nope. Yeah, I don't. If I was kept from heavy maintenance for a year and I didn't have an explanation, do you know what explanations I wouldn't think of? My race yeah. and my gender, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It would be either I'm incompetent or they don't know me yet or whatever. I would never have to go. They're not putting me on heavy maintenance because I'm white. They're not putting on me heavy maintenance because I'm a man. And that, that might sound ridiculous to some people, but the reality is you very well probably did that calculation in your mind both then, and it seems like you did it just now as well, right? Yes. Like you had no. to think, were there clues that would suggest that it was, I don't know, and I can't say, and then you're probably, and I'm, I'm reaching out here, so let me know if I go too far, and you're probably hesitant to say it was, because in order to claim any sort of racism, you have to provide irrefutable objective proof that it is what it is, because if you don't, then you're race baiting, playing the race card, you're doing all these other things. And which, then we'll be ostracized. Yeah. 
Yes. I don't know if I have a good solution here, but I think I see the position you're in in this conversation right now is what yeah. I think I see. It's, it's just, it's difficult because like you said, like it's just, it's hard to know for sure which one it was. Mm-hmm. You know, is this happening to me because this guy is a senior airman and I'm an A1C? Is this happening to me because he has more knowledge and experience and I don't? Is this, you know, I have no, there, there's so many things that I have to think about to figure out what, what the issue is that it's happening to that person and not to me or vice versa. Here's a question. And I know that me and you are very much siloed in our career experiences and it's unique to us and we can't, we can only speak for what we saw and what we know. But I would ask anybody listening, I want you to filter this question through your own experiences and think of an answer. What was the predominant race of the good old boy club in your unit? Because for me, it was always white people. But in fairness, there was a lot of white people, right? And there might have been a few guys that were... And when I say good old boy club, I don't mean the heavy hitting maintenance crew, because that was typically mixed race or whatever. But it seemed like the good old boy club was lighter. It felt like. Yes, definitely fairer skinned usually. So that was my experience. That was Ashley's experience. We can only speak for what we know. Yeah. And again, I can't say that it was like racism. It could have been something very, very implicit. They were just uncomfortable around people of color and they liked to hang out with people that were from their areas or had similar interests. Sure. But I think it's also important to note that those people that might have been around the people they were comfortable with, they also derived a social and, and professional benefit from those relationships that excluded people that were of the other. Yes. I that's was not just like, going to say that. It's like a, not necessarily a nefarious thing, unless they were going to Klan rallies, but I imagine <laughs> they weren't, right? It's not necessarily nefarious if they're just Who playing knows? golf or These something. Days. Yeah, it was fair. Um, you know, but it's you still have to recognize that it was exclusionary and it was a benefit. Beneficial. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to say, because I feel like the good old boy thing, I, I, I see now where you would not have probably used that word for the hard hitting, you know, maintenance guys. So those are, I would put them more into the category of like the favorites. The maintenance favorites. The maintenance favorites. I always call them the A team. Yeah, that too. And having an A team is fine. And I have nothing against having an A team. You got to cross pollinate the A team with the B team and the C team. You have an A team lead, A team lead, A team lead, and you populate with B and C teams. You tell super shit's going to take fucking longer. But I'm growing the B and C team so I can have yes. 37 A, A, A members instead of yes. just six A members. Exactly. I 100% agree. It just so happens that a lot of the time the maintenance favorites tend to be also a part of the good old boy club. Like they, they hang out with those people after work and have drinks and da-da-da-da. Um, I, I mean, like I hung out with one of our, our expediters – Again, what happened? What we had in Aviano for that one year is like not explicable. Honestly, mm-hmm. I can't really explain it. I wouldn't say that there was like a good old boy club because like our entire swing shift hung out together. So you're saying you had a, a healthy organizational culture that was inclusive? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. that's rare. That's why you're it having is. trouble like comparing it. it yeah. And you keep absolutely. focusing on how strange it was. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the goal of all organizations to be. Right. Yeah. One of our uh, expediters turned pro super turned flight chief. We uh, moved around together from 
Aviano to Shaw, but he was in all three of those positions. He said the same thing. He was like, I don't know how or why it happened the way that it did, but he was like, I've never experienced anything like mm-hmm. what we had at Aviano anywhere else in my Air yep. Force career. He was like on the Thunderbirds. He's like been all over the place. Great guy. Uh, he's a senior master right now. Love the dude. Um, but he was like, I, I can't explain how or why this worked out the way that it did. We just had an amazing team. But I think to like day shift, we would have looked like the go-to boy club. Yeah, that makes <laughs> you sense. Know? Yeah, but it wasn't, that wasn't really the case. But yeah, so the good old boy club and the maintenance favorites are different, but maintenance favorites can have crossover. I think there's some overlap. There's some overlap yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And most of the time it's, like what you said, okay, so individuals. <laughs> I'm going to do that thing that's that almost never ends well, especially as a white person. Mm. I'm going to play. Ooh. I'm going to play devil's advocate. <laughs> Ooh, you really want to go there? <laughs> no, because oh. I, I feel we can do that because we have such a good like you know I'm coming oh, yeah, from a good absolutely. place. So yeah, let's I'm just com- intrigued. Let's compare when there's like a black AMU chief and like a black AMU OIC and they interact with black people totally different than the white people in the unit. Where have you seen that? I have. Yeah. I I, mean, yeah, you have. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Or, I mean, I mean, it goes back to, I think it was the old, you ever see, I'll I'll probably do it. I'll put, put the clip up with this too, because it'll be too much to unpack. You've ever seen the old key and peel video I don't know. I don't know which one's Key and Peel, where he was like playing Obama and he was going up to all the black like uh, uh, cabinet members and he'd like do and the do hug the, and pat him yeah, on the back. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the white people would just give him a stiff hand and they'd do that. Like that's there also a real about. thing that happens. Like that's mm-hmm. a real thing that happens. There's a yeah. bond, certainly, with people of color, especially with Puerto Ricans. You ever seen Puerto Ricans figure out other people are Puerto Ricans? Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. Um, yeah, I've actually. I know what you're talking about. I can't comment on that because I don't know much about their culture. Oh, they're big about like they they recognize yeah. their own. They, and it's all good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I guess the question is, how is that different from the from the predominantly light skinned good old boy club we just described? If it was a, a different different power dynamic, a different. I guess I would have to see it to That's know. Fair. To be honest, I haven't had a black AMU. Mm-hmm. Leader, I'm trying to think. Like I've had, you know, flight cheese mm-hmm. uh, and a couple of supers here and there. Like I've I had seen... a, I had a, I had a black captain, a black chief, and a black assistant, and I had a white um, assistant OIC, and they were told constantly, "Don't worry about it," and and they were not included in almost any leadership discussions about what was going on. And, and it wasn't because they were incompetent. I mean, they're also a, a second lieutenant. So it's like their toolkits kind of light anyway, but mm-hmm. they were really kind of upset. They weren't included. And I don't think they ever saw it as a, as a race. I don't think they ever saw it as a race thing. Uh, they might've, I don't know, but, yeah. but I wonder if those, if those roles were reversed, I really think that person would have felt, and I don't know. I'm not even sure there's a good devil's advocate conversation. Cause I, there's no like fucking answer here. Well, I think that so there's a there's a difference between like the comfortability that black people have with each other, even if mm-hmm. they don't know each other. Mm-hmm. There is a comfortability there that does exist and that has a lot to do with culture. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's an acknowledgement of each other's 
shared experiences kind of yes know? their existence mm-hmm. that they are here this is another person that i'm you know and then there's also the whole code switching thing i had a lot of closed door sessions with people of color because we needed to be able to talk about shit without anyone else hearing it because we work in a predominantly white amu so they were giving you like here's the rules that you won't learn unless someone sits you down and explains to you how all this works because it's different for you it wasn't necessarily like that it was just we would i would have closed door sessions with like other black mass sergeants and and techs and staffs and shit and we would just vent Mm. because we couldn't do it outside of a closed door session i hear you you know what I mean? And it's just like, because you don't know, man, you don't know. Is this happening because of racism? Is this happening because I'm a female? You know, you don't know those things. And so like you vent about it and you're like, I think that it is. And then you find out that other people have shared experiences with that same individual. And you're like, okay, I know to stay away from this motherfucker. Yeah. Have you ever gone up to a, a like a, a black coworker and be like, hey, is certain so-and-so racist or what's the deal with him? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Multiple times, multiple locations. Yeah multiple people yes absolutely 100 that's the real thing and so that's why i'm like for me to understand the situation that you're talking about i would have to actually that's see right. it because there's there's so much more that goes with you know being a person of color like you've got code switching it's easy to tell when it's like someone who's speaks the foreign language who you know if they speak spanish if they're puerto rican and they speak the puerto rican dialect of spanish mm-hmm. or whatever there's a comfortability that another person will have and they can have that conversation between the two of them and nobody else really understands unless Mm -hmm. they, you know, speak that particular dialect. Black folks, we have like um, AABE, African-American verbal, I can't remember what the E stands for. (laughs) But it's actually, basically Ebonics is recognized and is an actual language, right? So, but when we code switch, most people listen to hip hop and so they know that, some of the language and they hear Mm. that in a different context and they're going to assume something different so like we can't code switch in front of people like if i need to talk to someone about a black issue specifically we have to go somewhere and have a conversation or we have to have the closed door meeting or whatever the fuck so it might seem like we're cooler we're clickier whatever and that's just me and my personal experience with Mm -hmm. the other people of color that i have worked with and have mentored me or i have mentored um that was the experience that i had with those individuals so i don't know because like the highest ranking individual that i saw in my amus was a senior master sergeant black person Mm -hmm. and it was usually a dude and but he was like the only one so it seems like there's a specific mentorship requirement for people of color too like there's there's never a time where i have to go off into a room and talk to a white person be like hey i need to like understand this as as a white like that that, that's i need to know how to interact in this environment yeah as a white person that 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 doesn't happen right yeah not typically certainly not in the military that's definitely a real thing that happens for i at least the black people that i've worked with in the nine years that i was active duty so i think people would argue that it's not required you probably didn't have to do it so i guess what would your experience be if you couldn't have those private conversations and that mentorship with people of color that were supervisors or had been around and knew what would your experience be like without that intel i would have been a lot angrier mm significantly angry and i was i was pretty bitter angry bitch by the time i got out Mm. that's facts and i i 
there was a lot of things that I saw when I moved up in the hierarchy and moving up to staff that I saw that I just really, it, I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. The more, the higher in rank I got in the, in my personal experience that I had after duty, the higher in rank that I got, the more bullshit I saw and the more it pissed me off. And the more I saw all of these middle-aged white men making decisions about people that they don't care about. And not understanding the effects and the impacts that it has on those individuals. So you, when you say people they don't care about, are you just speaking specifically like they didn't care about their people in general because it was all about their career? Or it's just, I guess, unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by that? So like they don't care about their AMU members. They don't care about their, their flights. They don't care about the people that are in the room that can hear you talking. It was all about them and their career and their status and their ego and Mm -hmm. money and all that stuff. Yep. Absolutely. All the things that really make you a good person. (laughs) Yeah. And, and seeing that firsthand going into the, like, you know, the, the bullshit that you do right before a staff meeting and hearing those conversations as if I'm not in the room, I'm sitting across from you. And I'm like, this is the leader of an AMU. Mm. This is disgusting, you know, and, uh, you know, racial comments, sexual, uh, sexual comments, gender comments, um, homophobia comments, all kinds of shit like that. And then they sit here and they're like, well, I don't know why my AMU's morale is so low. And I'm like, because you're a shit human being who doesn't take care of the human beings that work for you. And they can tell because you're so open about your hate for people that are not like you. Mm. And if not overt comments, certainly in their actions, behavior, tone, yeah. priorities, all the other things. Absolutely. You 100% learn how to read these people when they come into the room. It's it's rough. It's And just to bring it all back into the, the whole maintenance <laughs> culture thing so well that done. people understand. <laughs> well yeah, done, sorry. <laughs> My bad. My bad. No, you're good. <laughs> Um, I just want to wrap that all in together so that people understand because like very similar to that episode where we did females and maintenance and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, you know, as a person of color, as a female, you know, and just, I mean, that right there and, uh, you know, I'm a bisexual veteran. Oh, that, that sign is not up. Sorry. (laughs) I'd be rotating in my bad guys. (laughs) I don't Um, even show this video anymore. You're just talking. (laughs) Nobody can see anything. They're looking you're at their gonna, windshield and shit. And you're, you're like, gonna have God. To cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to do all raw audio this time. Oh, fuck it. I love that shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> fuck, what was I saying, man? You were um, saying uh, you're going to wrap know, it all up. All these, you know, different things, you know, that's not, that hasn't been considered the norm for a long time. Being in maintenance is so stressful and there are certain things that you do have to embrace when it Mm -hmm. comes to the suck. That's just cold, hard facts. The Mm -hmm. hours, the weather, Mm -hmm. no control over that and jets have to fly. So it sucks to suck. So, you know, the hours, the weather, your sleep schedule and being used as a, as a, as a tool like you just have you're an innocent you have an innocent you're a part number mm-hmm. basically you're a tool you know there's certain things that you do have to accept about that culture but the amount of toxicity that happens in there and it's covered up because they don't let this people like me end up getting out mm. right so they 
basically make your life either difficult enough where you decide I don't want to do this shit anymore and you get out or they make it to the point where you become complacent and deal with implicit bias and you suck it the fuck up and you make it all the way to chief or whatever. Pray to God that you can make some change before you get out Mm -hmm. and then you retire. I think that's a good point. I think uh, barring all the people that worked for me when I was a toxic, abusive fucking monster, which, you know, as it turns out, was from 2002 to 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think there's a lot of people listening to this podcast and go, I I really wish he would have stayed in and changed things. Mm -hmm. But I think what they're missing is, is that you spend so much time and energy constrained like, think about think about how many times I've called Lieutenant General Kelly a fucking moron on this podcast because he fucked mm. up everything. Yeah. I can't do that as a master. Nope. Or the stories I told about abusive commanders. Like, I withheld those until I retired because there would have been, there was overt retaliation anyway that the IG said wasn't. Like, I would have loved to have stayed in and made chief. I think I could have done it. Like, oh, this isn't me, like, reminiscing and putting on my old retiree hat that I got up there on, on in the background. Uh-huh. But it's like, I would have loved to do that. But the the cost to my conscience and my soul to get there Amen. would have destroyed me. And I, by the time I got there, I wouldn't have had the fire in me to fight anyway. And yep. I applaud any chief that makes it a chief and can still create space for their people. Like, that's yep. that's impressive and good on them. Um, but I, I think it's, I think it's fair. I think it's fair criticism to look at you and I and say, you should have stayed in and you should have made change where you could. Um, I would argue that I got lots of those lectures before I got out. Yeah. And I think it's also abusive and coercive and too. Well, it's also, yeah, it's in the little Brown book anyway, for them to try to convince you to stay in. So yeah. Is like I had a guy genuine? Fridell came up to me. He's like, I'm thinking about getting out. I'm like, dude, you're smart. You should totally get out. You'll make so much mm-hmm. fucking money. I think he's Fuck doing yeah. great now. But good for him. Uh, yeah. Good for him. <laughs> but um I think there's I think there's a point where until you start getting more people to recognize it's it's broken, then very often you railing against, and I know I got listeners that very often have to tone down what they say at work while they're serving because they get they get labeled as bitter as difficult and it's because they like us are fed up with how the with status quo with pretending it's not i'm not saying everything's terrible but the terrible shit is fucking terrible and you need to fucking expose it yeah and i know many people that listen to this they get that are still serving that get called that they're difficult or they're bitter or they're burned out or any of these other things it's because they're tired of beating their head against shit that's not turning around so stop calling them bitter Listen yeah. to what they're saying. Listen to the criticism. Like criticism isn't always going to be delivered to you in a neat little envelope that's supportive of your ego and has a solution for you. Your job as a leader is not to force people to come to you with a solution. Your job as a leader is to create an environment where they're willing to come to you and say, it's bad and you need to you need to start working on it. I can maybe help you figure it out, but I need to be able to tell you it's bad without being told that I'm not a team player anymore. Like yeah. you're going to create a horrible fucking environment if you silence critics and demand people come with solutions and anybody that doesn't is labeled bitter. So, yeah, it's, it's, okay. 
sorry. No, I'm just like, it's so, it's frustrating to like, just think back on it. And I'll say this too. I asked Ashley maybe two or three months ago to ask her to start brainstorming ideas for an episode about um, race in like very much women in maintenance. Let's talk race and maintenance as well. I think we've certainly hit some peaks here today. Um, but I also reached out to a few other people to ask them to join. And they all said they were not comfortable coming on and talking about it, likely because they're still serving or they're working in um, military industrial complex sort of stuff where it's it's the same environment, just different uniform. Um, I think that's indicative of a problem anyway. So uh, normally I don't do this uh, and I can't promise any anybody specific airtime, but I, I, I probably want to do a panel discussion. I prefer it to be somebody I know because I've gotten lucky meeting strangers over this and invite them on the podcast, actually being a prime example. Yes, uh, but I kind true. of, I kind of very jealously guard uh, the content on this podcast. But if you think you have a good perspective about issues of race and, and aircraft maintenance, shoot me a message and tell me your thoughts. And if your thoughts aren't good, I'm going to tell you. And that's just because I have to like, this is my ba This podcast is my baby and I, I, yeah, I protect it, it. So yes, you do. Okay. As, as you should, as you should. So uh, if anybody's interested, shoot me a message or if, if you have a friend for the podcast to them and go, Hey, this guy's asking for people to get their perspective on race and maintenance. Remember you had that issue two years ago or whatever. If you want to talk about it, talk to him, but if you could spread the word, cause that's something I want to, I want to address. And like every conversation will be addressed in good faith. Uh, there's not many gotchas or anything like that. And I'm not like a closet, uh, like racist or anything like that. So it's not going to be, I'm not going to try to, convert or anything like that but uh please if you're interested let me know ashley thank you very much for joining me um and uh, until next here. time yep adios subscribe <laughs>